Good morning and good afternoon, everyone. I am here with David Zhao. Nice to meet everybody. My name is David. A um, little bit of a Swiss Army knife in the digital asset world. I do a lot of random stuff. <laughs> but, Swiss Army uh, knife. I like that. <laughs> exactly. I'm very excited to be here. Very excited. Yeah. To be well, here. break us out all these little tools. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Um, you know what my little Swiss Army toolkit really uh, provides to the digital asset ecosystem specializes in two big categories. One, DeFi, which stands for decentralized finance, and second of all, NFTs, which is non-fungible tokens. Um, I'm one of those consultancy type people that join different companies and projects um, and help people that whether it be investors or projects or business owners navigate the digital asset ecosystem that is otherwise quite intimidating for someone um, just navigating it for the first time. Okay, so the world of crypto is made of young people and uh, <laughs> you are a young uh, person, which I think is really exciting. So you got into this pretty young, from what I understand, and uh, you have been involved with um, ICOs. Uh, what is an ICO and what does that actually mean to me in my like daily regular crypto life? For sure. Um, crypto has this problem of like turning acronyms into everything. And, <laughs> and what it does is it makes it very complicated for the yeah. uh, normal person to navigate yeah. for the first time. Yeah. What an ICO stands for is an initial coin offering. And similar to, you know, IPOs, it's basically when a company launches their coins for the first time, yeah. it's available for the public to be bought yeah. and sold. Okay. Um, that's all there is to the traditional definition of it, yeah. but tactically what that means is you can start trading it. Okay, so um, before the ICO happens, or, or maybe I should I should uh, go into this first. I also hear the term IDO, mm. initial DEX offering. Yeah. And I feel like in my crypto life, I hear that term a whole lot more than I hear the term ICO today. What is an IDO and what does that, is it the same thing? Initial DEX offerings are a little bit different. It's when you can uh, when you can purchase and trade the currencies on a centralized exchange. So an ICO means you can use decentralized exchanges like Uniswap or PancakeSwap, these really cool uh, DeFi protocols yeah. to kind of transact and trade with other people in this uh, decentralized way. Yeah. But what an initial DEX offering means is that like, now there's an opportunity for you to purchase it off of Binance, for you to purchase it off of KuCoin, for you to purchase uh, for you to purchase these different coins off of a centralized exchange. Okay, so um, what happens with a company before it goes through the ICO or IDO process? Are they raising money from other people, um, and and uh, how how are they going about what's happening before I can actually buy in? So the really interesting thing with the digital asset ecosystem is there's actually no right answer. Mm. And what I mean by that is because um, there's a lot of different things that coin providers can do or people that want to launch coins can do uh, before a launch. Okay. You can have a private sale, which is sale that is specifically provided to people um, that you whitelist. Yeah. You have... Okay, wait. What's a whitelist? Aha. So a whitelist is a term that is uh, used kind of in the more dev space. It's just people that are allowed to do certain things. Okay. And both in the NFT ecosystem and the DeFi ecosystem, a whitelist means that the wallet address you're transacting with is permitted to transact on the network. So it's gone through some type of approval process. Correct. Is the approval process always involve uh, KYC? And before you answer that, can you explain what KYC is? 
For sure. Um, KYC means know your customer. Mm -hmm. And know your customer is uh, a very... I guess, complicated way of saying they just want your information. Okay. They want to make sure that you are who you say you are. Right. Your identity is correct. Your, yep. you know, the, the, the ID you provide is real. And what the explicit purpose of that is to prevent against regulatory infractions. Okay. Um, both Canadian and U.S. bodies require that uh, certain exchanges do KYC. Yeah. And KYC at the end of the day is just a way to protect yourself. Yeah. But um, the interesting component of KYC is that like, it's a little different when it comes to trading on decentralized exchanges. Okay. Because trading on decentralized exchanges means that you're transacting with MetaMask, which is a wallet address. Yeah. But if you're doing primarily centralized exchanges, um, you have an account that is associated to your KYC right. um, that you process all your transactions on. Yeah. Okay. So now is the whitelist process always involving some type of KYC process um, or can you whitelist without this? So whitelist and KYC is actually quite different. Okay. Um, KYC is more kind of the first step in the process of becoming a digital asset investor or yeah. someone that purchases digital assets. Okay. Um, but a whitelist is typically a kind of backend type thing where uh, someone will approve you to be able to buy something yeah. like an NFT. Yeah. You'll hear that term a lot. Yeah. Um, and then for ICOs is a little less common. Um, but what it basically stands for is that these are a small subset of people that are now qualified or permitted to purchase before yeah. other people can. Okay, great. Um, and so, is it um, is it a is there a financial incentive for me to get into an ICO versus just buying it next week after it launches? Yeah, for sure. So um, you know, a little bit more. I guess, in depth than, than your students might need to know. But um, an ICO is basically the first time something is transacted publicly. Okay. And what that, what most of the time that means is that there's a huge liquidity provision event. Um, so there's a huge moment in which everyone's looking to snipe or yeah. to get in before everyone else. Right. Because everyone understands that there's a huge crowd of people that is yeah. potentially, you know, waiting and listening and looking to um purchase this coin okay so everyone's trying to get ahead of each other so there's a reason why you want to get ahead of the curve for an ico is because you can do 2x 3x 4x right. in the span of a couple seconds right a couple minutes okay and the reality of that is it sounds like it's a lot of fun and it sounds like it makes you a lot of money <laughs> um but that's actually the big uh untold secret of the digital asset world it's like sniping rarely really gets you that successful right um you're competing with a lot of cool people that have a lot of cool bots right. and and you as a human that transacts on a network unless you really know what you're doing um there's a lot that you have to get through before you can snipe which is the process of trying to buy an ico before other people effectively yeah and bots, you never win against a bot. It's very hard because <laughs> the only way to win against a bot is with another bot. Right. And and the reality is, is like publicly available ones will never beat the ones that are done by people who make this their job. <laughs> so, so, okay, that's, a, that's an interesting point. So where do these bots come from that are stopping me from winning in or sniping in an ICO? So the reality of this is that... Um, you don't know, right? <laughs> you don't know what you don't know. And yeah. and um, there's a really cool article that was kind of exposed on Twitter. That's like the Ethereum ecosystem. What you see is just 
cool transactions and like people doing cool stuff yeah underlying it's snipers on everything um <laughs> nfts snipers coins snipers right and you know whether it be private bots that people build themselves or you know sniper tools like like PooCoin or um bogged finance like these are more publicly available bots that you could theoretically use to win right and then you could do contract sniping which is like minting directly from the contract but that's <laughs> way too into detail um to break it all down the the reality of what this means for the average investor is that um don't try to time the coins yeah um don't try to don't try to scalp coins right um the what's best, what's scalping scalping is is oh sorry okay. <laughs> i've been in this space for a little too long <laughs> that's how you know um scalping is basically when you see a market movement happening yeah so you just try to capitalize on those like percentage gains right right it's like the liquidity provision event you think okay cool if i enter before everyone else i could scalp the time in which they enter yeah and then i would exit on here yep. wait for it to localize and then purchase back in yeah um this is awesome if you know what you're doing yeah and i've been in this industry for a really long time and i still have no clue what's going <laughs> on um so the average retail investor what is the best case to do is to find a project with a cool team with a cool utility and at the end of the day something that you believe in and to ride it out for the long run okay so that leads me to um a question how do you find these projects and should you be looking for these projects pre-ICO or pre-IDO or are we often trying to look for projects that already are existing and have already launched? So I think that ultimately depends on how involved you want to be as an investor. Right. Um, ICO and coin sniping involves a lot of due diligence and what that means is like the unfortunate reality of crypto being you know less regulated is that there's a lot of scams. Yeah. Um, the untold I guess, side of ICOs that a lot of retail investors end up, you know, um, paying for is the fact that there are scams yeah. all over the place. Mm -hmm. um, the best way to get information that both our team and our traders have been able to find is like Reddit. Right. Reddit's a really cool source of information that's very quick, very yep. immediate, but there's also a lot of noise to sort through. Sure. So it takes time. Uh, it takes a lot of time. Right. And, you know, one of our traders spends about like 10 hours a day just scrolling Reddit. Um, so if, if that's life you want to do, of course, you know, ICOs are awesome. Yeah. But um, as someone that treats investing more like kind of like a, like a side activity yeah. um, rather than like a, like a full all time, like day I'm a trader, trader day yeah. trading. Yeah. Um, I, I don't particularly love doing that. So I, I also particularly advise people against doing that because you can do that when the markets are doing really well. Yeah. When the markets aren't doing very well, you're going to spend a lot of time losing money. Yeah. And that's the reality. Okay. So when we look at, uh, let's say we found a project that is interesting to us, whether it's, I don't know, in DeFi or NFTs or, or whatever. Um, what, what do I, what am I looking for? Uh, you say, find a cool team, find a cool project. Like actually, like what does that actually mean? When I look at that team and they're all just a bunch of, I don't know, pixelized images and I don't know their real names. Like how, how do I, how do I dive into this? So, and you know, that comes into something that I talk a lot about, um, specifically, um, the digital asset ecosystem, because it's such a new market, um, because it's such an immature market, there's a lot of opportunities for bad actors to do bad mm -hmm. stuff. And, uh, 
you know, SafeMoon is a really good example. Yeah. Um, SafeMoon was this currency that that gained mainstream notoriety because um, people that kind of understand the tech are like, cool, this is definitely a scam. But because of how well they were at marketing and building kind of right. like a cool like following, um, they made a lot of money. Okay. They made a lot of money. Yeah. Um, people that got into SafeMoon made a lot of money. People that held the bag, which is the term for uh, didn't exit in time yeah. or the ones that ate the losses. Right. <laughs> um, and that's kind of the ecosystem as a whole where yeah. we're at now. Um, so you can get into these projects, make some money, but you got to get out. Yeah. So by that point, it's just like, there's a lot of bad coins or like fundamentally, uh, fundamentally lacking coins that yeah. you can make a lot of money from, but you have to remember that it's not always going to last. The line doesn't always go up. So I hear sometimes people say, I'm going to degen into this. <laughs> what, is, what does that mean? <laughs> uh, degen. So, so degen is degenerate. And, and what we mean by that in the industry is just like, you know, the fundamentals don't exist. I shouldn't invest in this product, <laughs> but I'll just throw in like $10 or like yeah. $100. Right. Um, yeah. And so when, when we're talking about, um, I mean, this is obviously purely speculative speculative purely. you think that uh, all you're really doing here is to make money um how do you uh look at a project like that and be like you know what i'm gonna add value to society um because i think that's an important thing we all need to consider uh and how do you balance that with being a degen and uh, trying to flip nfts or, or just make money i think um you know you what happened in the last bull run was that like a lot of people made a lot of money trading degen projects, yeah. right? Like Dogecoin or like coins that have very little fundamental value. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of money was generated from these these purely speculative meme coins. Right. Um, the reality is, is um, you can't really say if it's right or wrong to invest in a project that has no fundamental meaning. Right. But as an investor, there's a understanding that needs to be had it's like the money you put towards a project that is an impact you have on an ecosystem right right if the project is bad and you put your money towards the bad project you know this money is now flowing to a bad actor right if it's to a project that has no fundamental meaning well you know that's fine there's nothing wrong with doing that but at the end of the day investors putting their money with their mouth is is also the point in which it's like if you care about your impact there's also the component of where you're putting your investment dollars is also yeah. where your impact lies. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, for example, like if your money was put towards a project that could quote unquote revolutionize a specific subset of crypto, one, you could make a lot more money, mm -hmm. but two, it's you would give good actors with good intentions, yeah. the financial capabilities to do so. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so then how do we find these teams that are good? Or when you see a team, how do you know, that this could be a team I want to invest into. Yeah, I, I think you know um, the reality is I don't have the right answer. Because <laughs> if I did, I would, I would, I wouldn't be in Vancouver. I'd be out in <laughs> Dubai. Um, but um, you know, one of the kind of I guess rules that I have for myself is just like I treat my crypto investments like I treat my business investments mm -hmm. in the same standard of like there's a level of due diligence that I need to have mm -hmm. in order to be able to be comfortable in this investment. Mm -hmm. um, people on my team are different, right? Like 
we have guys who specialize in the in the coins that nobody's ever heard of, right? Um, and they'll make like a thousand x because it didn't exist, and now there's yeah. a huge liquidity pump, right? Um, but for me, you know, I'm more investment rather than trading. Yeah. So for me, one of the core requirements is a doxed team, and what doxed means is um, a team whose names you know. Okay. There's a face to the name. So someone who's undoxed is that what you call it? Yeah. They we just see some kind of profile picture of uh, whatever. Yeah. Um, Not however, them. Yeah. So so the problem with generalizations in the crypto industry unfortunately is that like you know this rule does not always hold true sure there are undoxed people that are undoxed for the pure purpose of you know and uh, anonymity yeah they don't want people to know who they are yeah they don't want people to know they have they have money right they don't want people to know that they built this cool little crypto ecosystem yeah like the doquan thing right yeah um because of terra luna's collapse now he's done yes. permanently he's never coming back <laughs> Um, he's constant death threats, stuff like that. Yeah. That's why people want to stay anonymous. Yeah. Because I think people have this understanding that what you're playing with is <laughs> an unregulated right. asset. Right. Where big fluctuation in price results in people being very, very angry. Right. Um, and it affects their life. 100%. Yeah. So with that component, you know, it's why I'm still a little bit hesitant to say don't invest in teams that aren't docs. Right. Right. At the end of the day, it's the way that I would treat it is, is like there are different, like it's like a grading rubric. Mm -hmm. um, I would go through a checklist of things. Like for example, whether the team is docs or not, yeah. whether there's a utility that makes sense, okay. whether their white paper, you know, reads like a white paper or just like a, 14 year old typing on a keyboard. <laughs> um, you know, like it, it's basically all these little, insights yeah that paints you a picture of what this project could be yeah ico investing is the same like pre-seed and seed investing yeah at the end of the day it's almost a shot in the dark right because you don't know how the team's going to function right you don't know if their technology that they say is revolutionary works yeah you know you can't just open the curtains and say let me take a look at your code right um and what ends up happening is it's like it's it's very difficult to answer that question because um, generalizations results in problems, mm. especially in the crypto industry. Right. And, and the fact that you can't necessarily generalize and it's a very case by case basis, that's what makes the investment aspect of crypto very, very difficult. Right. But for me, the way that I look at it is, is like you progressively become more and more degen. Right. <laughs> so let, let's start with the safer investments, right? Like docs to team you know, good vision, good utility, yeah. uh, good partners, you know, that's your like gold standard. Yeah. And, and when you first get started, only play with gold standards yeah. because those have the highest probability of success. Right. As you learn more through the crypto journey, and I call it a journey because as much as I've been in this industry for this long, I still am a novice. Right. There's so much, so much, so much to learn. Yeah. Um, and, and why I say journey is, is like, as you learn more information sets and you can make better decisions, yeah. then you can start to navigate into the more degen category. Sure. Um, so rather than giving a broad generalization of like undocked teams makes means bad money or right. bad uh, investment and your money's going to be gone, you know, it's 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 start off with docs team yeah. good vision that you can look into yeah. that you can that you can evaluate and do due diligence in the same way you can do due diligence for a stock. Yeah. Um, then you progressively move towards the, the the territory of chaos okay
So you'd mentioned um, a couple things. Uh, white papers is something you'd mentioned. And um, so maybe can you explain what is a white paper? And, and when you read a white paper, you say, does it read like a white paper? You said, uh, you know, does it read like a 14-year-old yeah. robot? Okay, so, uh, and that seems like a bit of an extreme case. Very extreme. So um, let's say it is, it, I mean, the English is good, the grammar is proper, it seems like relatively professional. Um, what is it in the white paper that might think might make you think, okay, this is this allows me to go through maybe the second level of, um, of due diligence? Yeah. So, um, again... Uh, the unfortunate truth is there's no hard set rule, but white papers generally is a document that is written by a crypto protocol or a digital asset kind of issuer that's almost like um, their way of convincing you to buy the coin. Right. And how you can tell a lot of times with whether or not a white paper is, is good or bad is do the words that they're using mean it in the way that they're trying to use it in? Right. That's a very hard set black and white thing. Yeah. If you use terminologies that aren't necessary, if people are using things incorrectly, yeah. Um, in the context of like, here's the definition of the word that they just used that's like crypto native. Yeah. And then they use it in a completely right. wrong context. Yeah. Then for me, that's red flags. Okay. Um, and again, it's it's the process of taking a look at a white paper and seeing how many red flags are popping up for yeah. you. Okay. Is it overly technical for no purpose? Right. Is it trying to confuse you with really big words? Right. Is it very simple and easy to read that in, in a way that's like they know what they're talking about? Yeah. Right. It, it's like the rule, right? Where it's you don't truly understand something until you can explain it to a kid. Right. And the way that I look at it is like white papers the same. Yeah. If you look at the white papers of really, really good crypto projects, as much as there's a lot of technical components to it, the general verbiage and, and diction that is used is quite simple overall. Right. I mean, if we look at Satoshi's white paper, I mean, it's like, I think it's eight pages long. Yeah. And really, you know exactly what he's talking about in like two paragraphs. The whole rest of it is technical. And you've already got the vision of the whole concept of what he's trying to do very, very quickly. Um, sometimes when I read white papers, I, I'm like, I don't, I have, I have no idea what this, what the utility of this project is. It's so confusing. It's so abstract. And maybe it's legitimate, but it's far beyond my understanding of that weird little technical component. Um, another question is, okay, so, so in white papers, we see tokenomics. Um, so what is tokenomics? And how do I know that if they're, they're going to create 3 trillion tokens, yeah. that that's good? <clears throat> and how do I know that 18% of it going to the founders and 23% going to the venture capitalists makes sense? Like, yeah. uh, these numbers are confusing. I don't know what is a standard. Yeah. What What is good? Um, yeah. Tokenomics is a very oversimplified thing in, in public media. Everybody talks about tokenomics, but until you actually like start building tokenomic models, then you understand why this whole ecosystem is just, ah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> tokenomics is, is similar to monetary policy, right? It, it's basically saying how much money is being printed, yeah. how much money is being burnt, how does this money work? Who gets the money right when it launched is how many percentage of the token that is sold or some how much percentage of the ipo is given to what party yeah so it, it's a lot of these little nitty-gritty things of like what's a vesting period yeah and, and what that is is basically like how long before an investor can sell the tokens yeah. that they purchase before everyone else yeah 
Um, and when you say like what's good or bad, the reality is, is there is no good or bad. There is industry averages. Right. And, and um, as much as there is a fundamental flaw to averages being kind of a benchmark to make decisions, it's a very good generalization to start with. Do we, is there a place where we can find these industry averages? Is there resources for this? Google. <laughs> um, the way that I actually explain my job is I'm a professional Googler. <laughs> I, have, I have no idea. Yeah. I, I can't even tell you off the top of my head, like what is the industry average right. for this type of currency that right. does this thing? Um, I simply Google and say, hey, let me take the comparable research of here's four other versions of this project yeah. that are similar, that are comparable. What do their tokenomic models look like? Yeah. Um, and the course of tokenomic evaluation is, is more specifically, once again, red flags. Yeah. How many red flags does that process get you? Yeah. Right. If there's a, no vesting period yeah. and investors that bought before public can immediately sell all their tokens, that's a red flag. We all know that token's going down. 100%. Because <laughs> think about it very fundamentally, even from the perspective of a business. If a business owner can immediately liquidate their shares right after they do IPOs, yeah. then is that a business that you want to believe in? Yeah. Right. People that are building for the team aren't putting their money where their mouth is. Yeah. The longer the vesting period generally means that the more they, the team trusts in the long-term right. longevity of the project. Yeah. If I'm working on something for six months and I think it's going to last for 14 years, of course I'm going to take equity. Yeah. I'm not going to get paid, I don't know, $200, $300 an hour. Yeah. It's that same component. The more equity people are taking and the longer they, they keep that equity, yeah. generally there's a pretty good litmus test towards how much the team actually trusts. Yeah, that's great. Um, I think that's really helpful because sometimes when you uh, look at white papers and you're trying to make a decision on investment, uh, it can be very confusing, uh, especially if you haven't re read a lot of white papers because you don't know what the standard is. You don't know, yeah. like, is this normal? Is this is this where we're at? Because truthfully, some white papers do read like they were written by a 14-year-old. And, and I think sometimes we need to realize, well, it is a 19-year-old kid creating this concept and he, <laughs> he's an engineer. Yeah, He's not uh, a marketer. Uh, and, and that's the way an engineer who's 19 yeah. years old might actually communicate which doesn't necessarily mean that the project is terrible. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's like, well, this is just the way that a, a kid who's a computer scientist knows how to communicate. Yeah. I mean, you know, as someone that is young, I'll tell you that age is one of the worst litmus tests for, for, for kind of evaluating a project, yeah. especially in crypto. Right. And why I say especially in crypto is as someone that is pretty young, um, I generally think it's a pretty bad indicator of whether something's going to be successful or not overall. Right. Right. Why should you judge a business owner by the fact of their age? Yeah. You can justify experience, right? Yeah. But age just simply means how much time they had to gain experience and right. not necessarily their experience set. Right. Um, one of the guys I lived with when, so I just came back from SF and, and one of the guys I lived with was perhaps one of the smartest people I've ever met. He is 22. But he was one of the earliest engineers at Solana. Right. And right now he's raising $100 million for this ZKP protocol and way, way too technical. But it's called, <laughs> Let's not get into yeah, that. <laughs> way too much. Um, but but he is on the forefront of innovative tech right. in Web3. Right. ZKP is is think, something that I barely understand. Yes. And what it basically is, is like taking a lot of information, turning into an equation. Right. A singular math equation that can be solved. Wow. That you can send to someone, where have them prove it, and then return it zero knowledge proof yes so so it would take tr like data privacy to a whole new world right but it's like 
think about how difficult that is, yeah. right? Like, like, first of all, humans are really bad at communicating, like, uh-huh. even with words. Right. Now we're moving it to another tertiary level of turning into an equation. <laughs> um, so it's like, it's like people like that. Like, I've met so many, you know, 18-year-olds, 20-year-olds, 21-year-olds that have done extraordinary, extraordinary things. Right. Like, people that have worked since they were in 15. Yeah. I worked in, you know, startups since I was in 15. Yeah. Um, but... The reason why it's it's quite important to recognize that you're right. People that that do projects sometimes aren't the best at marketing. Is the fact that crypto, like any asset in the world, is very marketing heavy. Mm. If the logo doesn't look that nice, yeah. if the website doesn't look that nice, if the words that are used aren't very picturesque or don't use in all of analogies, and they're difficult to understand, um, the unfortunate reality is that more people statistically will write it off. Yeah it doesn't mean it's not going to be a successful asset. Right. Um, and, and the reason why, why I say that here today is because um, don't take that information that I just said on, on you know, this 19-year-old engineer making this yeah. crazy cool white paper, right. changing the world. So every single white paper that's confusing is going to change the world. Right. Um, but it's more on the information set of like, work in your circle of comfort. Uh, comfort. Mm-hmm. Try to navigate a little bit outside of it. <laughs> that's great. Every investment that you do. Yeah, that's really good. David, this has been really, uh, really helpful for us to understand a lot of concepts around ICOs and IDOs and white papers and a bit of tokenomics. And and how do you look at a project and think, you know, this is something that I may want to um, look uh, further into. Um, I really appreciate your time. This is really helpful. And it's really great to hear someone, hear from someone who is like, kind of in the in the center of uh, being kind of a crypto native, uh, being brought up with uh, crypto uh, as someone who is younger. And I think that's super helpful to us. Awesome, man. This was this was very, very fun. Awesome. Thank you for having me here. Thanks so much.